welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby Off Season, where we talk about all the pop culture that is filling our time in between the dark days of Downton Seasons. Uh, today, we'll be wrapping up some of our conversations about summer TV with uh, the shows Another Period and Mr. Robot. And we'll also be looking at the movie Trainwreck and, in general, the, the state of the rom-com in today's Hollywood scene. I'm Brandi Sperry in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. And I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. So we, we do have a little down news this time because the trailer for the final season has come out. Set to yeah. a British version of Andrea Bocelli's Time to Say Goodbye. <laughs> well, it got to me. I cried. So I, I wept my eyes out watching that trailer. <laughs> It definitely seems like Downton graduation, right? Which is a little odd because, you know, in the world of the show, at least some of these people are not going to be, like, never seeing each other after the end of the, season, the season's over, right? But they're kind of acting like everyone's going to go their separate ways in this trailer. So we'll see what happens. Well, that's why it made me think, like, are they losing the house? I think they're just teasing all that stuff. I mean... You know, it's all in the theme of saying goodbye, but it's just random. It, this is like Mad Men's coming next week oh, yeah. <laughs> clip thing that, yeah. you know, where it's just random clips that ultimately mean nothing when you see the show. This is my, my prediction. They're not losing the house. I do think that Carson is probably going to move into a little cottage with Mrs. Hughes where he may one day get around to kissing her. Um, that, yeah. yeah, I love your notes. And here you said, will Carson finally kiss some part of Mrs. Hughes' body? And I imagined a delicate kiss to the elbow. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they're teasing Edith being happy, which is always nice for Team Edith. They're also teasing some kind of, like, new man that looks like a servant that uh, Barrow might have some relationship to. I'm, I'm just taking what I want from this, basically. I've... I've got to see Thomas get laid before the end of this, guys. <sighs> Thank you. It's got to happen. Yeah. It's been, like, a decade in Showtime since he got laid. Like, this poor man. Come on. Well, we don't know. He might be going into York, you know. I think he would be a little less stiff if that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's hope so. I was I was tagging things boyfriend for Barrow. Just, you know, to keep the keep the light This shining. is my greatest wish. Like, more than happiness for Edith, more than happiness for Mary. I really just want Thomas to get laid. Well, and I'm, one of my wishes, Daisy moving to the farm. It looked like she may be moving to the farm. They're certainly hinting at that. Yeah. It's like, this is all yours now, Daisy. Oh, do you think he's going to die? Probably. Mr. Mason is going to... Oh, yeah, probably. But it'll be like a blossoming for her because of it or whatever. She'll have to make a very big decision. What about poor Mrs. Padmore? If Daisy leaves, you know, Mrs. Hughes leaves because she retires to do her bed and breakfast. I mean, who's going to hang out with Mrs. Padmore? No, I think Mrs. Padmore would go with her. Like, this is the progression I see because we know that Mr. Mason and the Dowager actually, like, know each other and are fond of each other. I see, like, he dies, and then we get a great pep talk between the Dowager and Daisy, which would be amazing. Mm -hmm. And then, like, Daisy and Mrs. Patmore go off to, you know, have their jam business or whatever that we've talked about before. Yes. Mm. 
Yes. And they end up being like a little cute catering company that can do oh. the dowagers' luncheons. Farm to table. <laughs> yes. The original farm to table. I <laughs> that would be it. really great. Okay, I had a prediction, which was, I think that Anna will have a baby. Yeah. And then I think that baby will get framed for murder and go to jail. <laughs> will that baby make a poison pie? Exactly. Oh, God. I saw in some interview with her where she was saying, like, oh, and we're finally going to find out what happened with Mr. Green. And I'm like, no! Christ, no! No one cares! <laughs> Nobody wants to know! I don't give a shit what happened with Mr. Green. Dear God, no. But, you know, Julian wouldn't be Julian if he didn't beat the Bates and Anna storyline of the moment into the ground. So. Yeah. And I suppose that if Bates died, people would be unhappy, right? Yeah. Yeah. I already killed him in my fan fiction. I know. I wish you could just send them your fan fiction and say, take a week off. Here's what I've got. Totally. I know. Poor Bates. I actually do really like that actor in general, so I feel a little bad that we trash him so much, but that character is just insufferable. I don't get it. I don't mm-hmm. get the Bates love out there in the know. town community. It's like Sorry, true guys. love forever. I don't know. No offense to all the Bates they were, lovers. They were cute in season one, but every storyline since has just been the biggest downer on the show. It's really cute that you guys are saying no offense to the Bates lovers because we've only been offensive to the Bates lovers. I know. I'm starting to feel a little bad after, like, all these seasons of, of fuck you, Bates. It's like, yeah, well, going into the final season, you feel like you want you want everybody to be on the same team. I want us to all have, yeah. like, a group hug about this, and I don't want to be divisive. Well, we we put our stake in the sand a long time ago, so. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not right, going do back. We, do we have any other? Oh, Branson. They, Branson was spotted filming, so Alan Leach. So I think he's back at the Christmas special, maybe. Yeah, I, I would predict that it's a visit home kind of a thing. Totally. And a final hunting scene for Brandy. Yay, mm. I love when they go hunting. Oh, yeah. Those house parties are the best. So as we're still trying to fill these days before the season starts, starts September 20th in the UK. Not that we're saying anyone that listens to this podcast in the US might watch somehow once that happens. I will say it's illegal. That's all I'll say. Um, But as you're filling your time, I just want to mention I ended up kind of randomly watching two different horror movies that starred... Uh, down alums. I watched The Guest starring Dan Stevens and Honeymoon starring Rose Leslie. And they're both on Netflix right now. They're wor- totally worth checking out, particularly The Guest, because Dan Stevens plays this character that's like hella creepy. And yet every time he, uh, someone's about to be like, isn't this dude creepy? Shouldn't we tell him to go away? He shows up without his shirt on and they all sort of like <laughs> drop their jaw because he is cut in this movie. <laughs> Awesome. There's a scene where, like, it's kind of playing with 80s movie tropes, and there's this scene where, like, all the dudes at a house party are like, what's with this bro? And he lifts a keg up onto his shoulder and then is carrying another one his other hand and is like, where should I put these? And all the ladies, like, swoon. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, is, it is so funny. So funny. And uh, it's a movie that kind of derails uh, in the third act, but it's by the same people that made Your Next, which I love. And I would definitely um, recommend watching that one. And then Honeymoon. Uh, if you, this is a bit of a spoiler, but if you want to see Rose Leslie get, like, an alien twig baby pulled out of her vag, 
This is the movie for you. <laughs> I think that was the poster text, actually. Yeah, and that this is a um, a horror movie, like an indie that uh, was directed by and written by a woman, Lee Janiak, who's um, she's going to be doing the remake of The Craft, and I'm I am Ooh. excited about her, even though this movie I was just kind of like, what am I watching? <laughs> But, you know, it's hard when you're uh, connected to an actor from other things and she's doing kind of a bad American accent. But uh, oh, I definitely I definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, so what are the just, two movies' names? It's The Guest starring Dan Stevens and Honeymoon starring Rose Leslie. So I was typing because in this entire conversation and the conversation that Brandy and I had previously about this movie, I was imagining Mrs. Patmore. Because I couldn't remember who Rose Leslie was. She's Egret from Game of Thrones and the old maid that went off to be a typist. From season one. From season yes. one. So yeah. this makes a lot more sense. Yeah. <laughs> Not Mrs. Patmore. Not Mrs. No. Patmore. No, her name's Leslie Nickel. Okay. <laughs> well, there's Leslie's involved. And so... <laughs> An honest mistake. I'm sorry. Yeah, that does make your reaction to my text message uh, <laughs> a little clearer. Okay, so this month we decided to check out a TV show that has Downton in its DNA in a certain way, and that is the Comedy Central parody series Another Period, uh, which isn't necessarily a parody of Downton, particularly because it takes place in America, not in England, but it is sort of... Uh, making fun of all the tropes of the sumptuous country house, like world of the rich uh, around the turn of the century kind of things. Uh, so what did y'all think about this show? I laughed so much. I mean, this is the type of show where I feel like you're watching it and you take a sip of your drink and then you almost spit it out because there's just such a funny line that catches you off guard. Yeah, uh, I I liked a lot of it. I think it's it's a lot. The tone is a lot to sustain over many episodes, and I ended up watching most of them over the course of a couple days, which mm. I maybe wouldn't maybe wouldn't recommend. Yeah, because then it starts to get a little repetitive. Um, I do think that the performances by the creators uh, Natasha Legero and Ricky Lindholm as uh, the two very vapid, terrible, basically like if Cinderella's evil stepsisters had evil stepsisters of their own, like this is what these people would be. Um, I think those are very funny in parts, but it is it's it feels so over the top that it's not really a binge show. So I think I did myself a disservice by watching it that way. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of shows you know, we're going to talk about Mr. Robot in a minute. That would be great to binge. But you're right. This one is a great one, kind of like Drunk History, to just watch once a week, get those jokes in. But if you watched a bunch in a row, yeah, it could get grating. I thought that, that a lot of it was really funny, but I thought the stuff that worked the best on this show was when they were really taking, like, old-timey uh, prejudice and old-timey customs and, you know, bringing them into the light of the present through those characters. But for me, what worked were the characters that were really like earnest about it. Like I found the two leading women, they're, they're performing so hard, this Real Housewives of Downton Abbey kind of thing, that it didn't work as well for me as like, you know, Mr. Peepers, the, uh, mm -hmm. sorry, Peepers the butler, you know, with Dodo, <laughs> you know, or um, 
the valet who gets raped and the whole show about ravishing. <laughs> he gets and, ravished. He yeah. gets ravished. And, and, you know, and then when, when, um, chair, the maid <laughs> played um, by Christina Hendricks, who, you know, we worship right. her on this. We show. She was great. And she says to him, we live in a ravishing culture. It's everywhere you look, Nickelodeons, daguerreotypes, etchings. And I like, I just burst out laughing at that. Not because I think ravishing is funny. No, but, but because, because it was really bold of them to go there. And I, I appreciated that episode. Yeah. Sure. And the, the other line in that same episode I loved is, if you didn't want to be ravished, maybe you shouldn't be wearing such an inviting little valet uniform. <laughs> so, like, this is my favorite humor on this show where they take this stuff and... And, you know, I love everything between the two husbands who are gay and they run off and they have these weird little spats, you know, about cooking dinner. And David Wayne, you know, it's just like, I love him so much. Oh, David Wayne's the best. The, um, the casting here is really, like, it's everybody who's funny is on the show. Yeah, everybody. So. Michael Ian Black is Peepers. I mean, those two both, you know, it's because I just watched Wet Hot American Summer, um, the prequel the series. series, you know, but like. David Wayne as Yaron on that series is just perfection. And, I mean, all those actors. So I really love that. I have to say I appreciate the, the talent of the creators, but their, their roles to me were the least, I don't know, the least funny because it felt so, uh, I don't want to say broad. I mean, everybody is acting pretty broadly I don't know I want to say that that's pretty typical for a comedy like the only comedy I can think of off the top of my head where the main people are the funniest people is probably Broad City that's exactly what I was saying in my head interesting okay a lot of times like the people who anchor the story just don't they I don't know there's too much of them or they have to do too much work I don't know what it is but those supporting characters are usually the ones with the biggest laughs well, because you have to anchor the story in some sort of reality, and so the main character usually is a little blander than the supporting characters. Right. I think here you could see them really trying to overcome that, though, and so it's awkward when it doesn't quite get there. And, like, I agree, like, the Peepers and, and Dodo stuff is the funniest to me. Their mother, Dodo Bellacourt, played by Paget Brewster, who is amazing and who's only, like, four years older than Natasha Laguerre. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Right. They have her wearing a crazy wig, at least, to, like, admit that she... I mean, she's still incredibly gorgeous. She's, like, 45. Like, she's young. She's way too young for the Dowager Countess role. But, um... <laughs> we should say the creators are Natasha Leggero and Ricky Lindholm. And Ricky Lindholm is also known from the duo of Garfunkel and Oates. So, um, I mean... Yes. Props her... to them for the show. Her co-duo person does show up in a in a great little role that I loved as like I love, they have like this whole side thing with their ugly older sister who's a mm, feminist and mm -hmm. uh, her little feminist group that 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 was some of the funniest stuff to me as well especially Agreed. the Helen Keller episode was pretty <laughs> priceless. Some of the funniest stuff to me was like all the jokes that we see people live tweeting during Downton and then you put it in the mouth of a really hilarious character in this weird world and it's hilarious, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Like one of my favorite lines was like, your break isn't until March. What are you doing? You know, <laughs> Just these really absurd parts of the culture. I mean, you can tell uh -huh. they did a lot of research to then create these jokes and yet it's kind of delivered in a modern way. So I, I thought it was super smart and... Um, and I really love Natasha Leggero. I've loved her stand-up for years. And um, 
I thought it was great to take that vapid mean girl to the extreme. And then, you know, her biggest thing is that she wants to be in the clam bake society. You know I mean? It's just <laughs> so great. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff here. I will definitely watch the next season, but I will watch it as it goes along instead of trying to, like, binge it. And uh, I guess the only criticism I would have is, like you say, there is a lot of, like, poking fun at real historical accuracy, but it is so absurd at the same time that I was disappointed to see that they had still basically only cast their white friends. Right. And I was just kind of like, there's no reason in this world that you're building... You don't need that realism, quote-unquote realism, you know? Like, I, I was a little disappointed to see how incredibly white the cast was. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point, especially when they bring the little Indian boy as a gift. Yeah, and that you one's, notice that he's the real. only person that's yeah, not white. Yeah, and they had, they had one episode with a, a black character that was very similar to the black jazz band leader on Downton Abbey. <laughs> right. And I was just kind of like, you don't need to be doing this. Like, you guys uh, can do whatever you want in the framework that you've built for yourselves. So I, it was just a choice that was a little uh, bizarre to me for them to be so narrow in that way. I guess the only really diverse scene was the dog party. You know, there were some different breeds, uh, which I love the dog party. You know, the, this specially caught halibut. He hates it. He hates it. Throw it out. Throw it out. It's just yeah. amazing. That reminded me of Cora when when there was, like, salt put in the dessert. Yeah. Remember on Downton Abbey? And she's like, yeah. everyone, put down your spoons. Yeah. Take this away. Bring us Heaven fruit. forbid you take one imperfect bite. But see, it's like there's the scene, and then you make it even more absurd by having it be dogs. It's brilliant. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's all. That's all really good. And I think not binge watching it is an excellent uh, piece of advice because I, I think I too watched it over a few days, and I probably would have um, had a little bit more room in my heart for the over overplayed leads if I'd watched it. You know. Over many weeks. And um, can we just side note about how many women Comedy Central is giving a platform to and just be happy about that as well. Yeah, it's definitely becoming a more women-centric or woman-inclusive station with Inside Amy Schumer, Broad City, and Another Period. And isn't there some new stuff? I feel like they have some other stuff in the pipeline. Yeah. I just have been impressed lately because I think a lot of stations are kind of like, well, we've got our one thing that fits the mm-hmm. non-white guy role. And, of course, then their other big comedy series is Key and Peele, which is also diverse. So that's nice. The Key and Peele is ending, which is such a drag. I know. I actually, like, recently listened to um, Keegan-Michael Key give an interview on, uh, I think it was on The Business, radio show here in LA and he has so much good stuff to say about why they're doing this and uh it basically promised that they're still gonna do like specials together every few years so fret not but he's amazing side note especially amazing on playing house which has been so funny so far this summer it's been a really really great season okay our next topic speaking of uh sensational shows of the summer Mr. Robot just ended its freshman season that I did not anticipate blowing up so much, but people fucking love this show. (laughs) What do you guys think about it? I fucking love this show. (laughs) I too fucking love this show. Brandy, 
I don't know if I you do. I liked it. <laughs> I liked it. I only liked it. I feel like a damn fool for only liking it, but I can tell you why. But first, I want you guys to talk. By the way, I just love that we never all agree on a new show. <laughs> There's always one hater, and I'm happy it's not I'm me today. Not, like, I, this is, like, everybody loves the show so much that me just being like, eh, I liked it is kind of hating. Yeah. yeah. Which is She's, too bad. Brandy's not a hater, and I'm not a hater of another period. I really liked another period. I just had a few issues with it. That's all. Shannon, our secret anarchist at heart, tell us oh, what you loved so much God, about Mr. Robot. Yeah, I mean, I love the whole layers of conspiracy theory and taking down corporate America, making hacking interesting. I mean, you're typing in a computer. That's one of the most boring actions to ever watch. And to make it so active, so engaging, so suspenseful, and so relevant. Um, I loved Andy Greenwald's review of the finale that he's like, this show is talking about what is happening right now so accurately and that is thrilling Mm -hmm. and I love the performances I love the female characters I definitely want more from them but it's a very it's very well executed show on many levels writing the art direction and directing is does not feel like tv feels like a great Mm -hmm. movie and the acting is phenomenal and so I'm a fan okay well I I feel like I Really loved it, but I definitely have issues. So I'm not like a hundred percent like everything is amazing. Although I was incredibly engaged by it, I agree. It's it's it looks beautiful and it sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I love Rami Malek. I love that he's Egyptian American. Oh, he can get it. Yeah, he yep, can yep. get it. And do you know he has a twin brother named Sammy? I know, right? I Googled pictures of them. Yeah, I did I too, of course. I had to see every picture of both of them together. <laughs> so I think he's I think he's fabulous. I think the story's really, really interesting. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give it lots and lots of love. But I have to say that for the first few episodes I was wondering where the women were. Are there are there going to be women characters who aren't just like accessories here and there in the background? Will they speak to each other? <laughs> you know, and I, yeah. and I found like it went on. I know that the some of the women characters really came to the forefront, which is wonderful. But um, just it just took so long, and I was fantasizing. Yeah. I was already replacing male characters with female mm-hmm. actors because I thought like, how do we how do we fix this in my head? You know, I'm like, can Tyrell be female? What would this show be like if Tyrell was female? Mm. You know, if he didn't have a, a scheming wife, but she was Tyrell, you know, like she ends like, up being interesting enough that I wonder if she will be Tyrell. <laughs> That's the thing is like, it did get, it got there with those characters, right? I would say that Trenton was the most wasted. Um, oh, and the episode completely. where she and Darlene go out and are doing things on their own. I was like, Oh God. This is such a breath of fresh air. Right. <laughs> Give me more of this. Um, <clears throat> right, because that's the problem is like, okay, you put this great diverse female character in here, but you still have to give her something to do. And I think Right, that- she can't just be standing in the background and and be like, oh, cool, you have like a hijabi woman character. But she give her something to do besides like... Just be like, yeah, uh uh-huh, I'll get right on that to a male male character. Right. Halfway through the season, I had a conversation with a male friend of mine who's like, you must be so happy. There's so many, you know, great female characters are so interesting and active in their storylines. I'm like, yeah, but everything that they're doing revolves around a man. So they're not active on their own. And that did 
you know, I was like, I don't even know if the show can pass the Bechdel test halfway through. Now, there were scenes later on that I think did pass the Bechdel test. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because season one had to live so much in his head, I, I feel like they are setting the stage, especially for Angela, um, Tyrell's wife. Um, I'm hoping Darlene becomes more independent, um, that we can really follow them in their worlds more. I, I'm very excited for Angela's descent into the lion's den, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's rough for me because I thought I think the show did a lot of good things with the female characters it, towards the end, but I'm having a rough time forgiving them for killing Shayla in the way that they did. Uh, yeah. Essentially fridging her, if you want to look up what that term means, like... Her death was only a way to push Elliot off the edge. There, It had nothing to do with her actual storyline, with her actual arc. It was all about him. And that kind of storytelling is very regressive. And that was, that was a rough one for me because I wanted to really be invested in his emotional arc at that point. And I couldn't separate myself from the resentment of the fact that they had to kill an interesting female character to do that, which I don't think they actually had to do, and yet that's that's a thing that people do. Oh, what if we just kill the woman closest to him? Now he has motivation. Mm -hmm. uh, it was it was really lazy in a show that I feel like has is, I just had higher standards for. Absolutely, yeah. you're far more articulate than I am on this point. But yes, I agree. I mean, this was the thing, like I had this unease throughout about the female characters and their relationship to Elliot and their own stories. And I feel like, like I finally relaxed when um, Angela was in the Prada store. Oh, I agree. Uh, great scene. Yeah. She's, I, I wrote it down because it's such a great line. I don't know who you think you're talking to, but I'll try the Pradas next. Oh, nice. Uh, and at that point, tingles. it was like, uh, <laughs> This is, this is fabulous. I've been waiting so long for you, <laughs> you know? Well, and I think right. we have to remember that he wrote this as a feature film, and he says season one was just act one of the movie. Good. So if you think about right. it that way, we're really showing the before of many of these characters, and we've just had the inciting incident of the major hack, and now yeah. the story is beginning. I think there's a ton of potential, and uh, I do... I, I'm not necessarily as interested in the mental illness portion of it, unfortunately. I wish I was, but it's just so hard to separate from the Fight Club, bro-y, deep stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I appreciate that they directly reference that so that they, like, know <laughs> that's yeah. what they're doing. We know um, that they understand that they know that Yeah, doing yeah. Um, but it's just, I understand that that is... is what some people love. I'm just not in that particular demographic. I'm more interested in the like interpersonal stuff that goes on in a world that's crumbling. You're um, such a girl, Brandy. <laughs> I'm interested in relationships. <laughs> yeah, and see, I'm interested in the taking down of corporate America. So, like, to me, that's the most interesting of the hacking. I know, the... but like, how seriously am I expected to take the taking down of corporate America <laughs> in a show that airs on cable TV in the US? You know, like, this show exists to make money for its parent corporation, so it's a little hard for me to, like, totally take that at face value. Which the reviewers have brought up. I mean, you know. For sure. You know, and I will also say that the, the montages that were repeatedly shown of people marching and corporate America being greedy and uh, 
Obama walking around. Oh, yeah, those were kind yeah. of silly. Those montages were <laughs> like, much. hi, I'm a first-year poli-sci student, and uh, <laughs> like, I made this film. That finale montage, yeah, with all the world leaders, I was like, did you not see the series finale of Battlestar Galactica? We agreed <laughs> not to do this anymore. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. Um, but despite all that... That my real reason that I can't quite get on board with loving the show is very personal, and so I don't want to. I don't want to frame this as a critique of the show necessarily. I just want to mention that it's because I realized it is humorless. There are no laughs, and I cannot love a show that has no humor. Wow. That's what I've realized. That's a bold. Um, but what about the Americans? The Americans isn't. Funny. I don't even. Ag- I don't even agree that the Americans is as humorless as this. I think it has its hmm. breaks. And even just so far as the sort of self-awareness of the wigs that the characters wear sometimes. <laughs> okay, yeah. And, and I will say, like... at the show than I think you are laughing No, 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 show. no. I don't... I think that maybe The Americans is an interesting comparison, but I was thinking about, for example, like, um, even The Sopranos has Christopher and Polly Walnuts. Right. The way that they have some, you know, Breaking Bad, oftentimes uh, Jesse was funny. Uh, you know, like... Even The, the Wire was even, funny. Even The Wire was funny sometimes. Even The Shield had Dutch sometimes who was funny. And that's one of the most serious shows I've ever loved. This show seems to not realize that humor exists. Like, this is a world where no person at all has any sense of humor. And I think when you are trying to make a statement about society and the world and the way people react to each other and trying to just talk about humanity and you're not admitting that humor is a thing... It's weird to me. It's a disconnect. Like, this show is supposed to be talking about the real world. I don't see the real world in it. I see Mm. a downer world that I don't live in. Well, let's talk about the world of the show because, you know, it's all from Elliot's point of view. So you have to sort of take that as as a given that this is all through his brain. So he's not a really funny guy. Although I find that when he speaks to the camera, to his imaginary friend, us, like, he's like, did you see that? Like, what What was that? You know, I, I sort of find that funny, like these deadpan sort of... Oh. Yep, you know what? There is some things. humor, because when he's going through Angela's boyfriend's Facebook page in the pilot of that he loves, like, Michael Bublé and stuff, those were jokes. <laughs> That's pretty funny. No. But here's, here's, here's <laughs> another question about the it's world. I find, I find Tyrell hilarious, because I just don't know what the fuck he's talking about or doing. And I find his weirdness hilarious, but also I just can't stand him. And I wonder where does he fit into this universe? If it's all through Elliot's point of view, there is this entirely separate story Mm -hmm. that who knows, maybe Elliot is connected in some way, but Tyrell and his wife, like how do they fit into the universe of this film? And who are they and what is with all this like never ending scheming about yeah. abstract things? I wish we had gotten a little more of a concrete answer to that at the in the finale rather than this sort of manufactured mystery of like where did Terrell go? Right. Like I don't care where Terrell goes and if he doesn't come back that's okay with me too. And his whole like seduction of the wife of the yeah, the CTO. potential new CTO, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all of it is like, what is going on? And why is this happening? And what is this doing in this story? And how does it fit with Elliot's 
thing. But isn't that the sign of a great first season that you don't know? Well, mm. I'm happy not to know, but I, I find it um, distracting and I find his character sort of frustrating. Oh man, I love their storyline. I It's really hard to have a good modern villain because she is like classic villain. I mean, you could put her in like a Disney movie, you know? I mean, she's this plotting, you know, ruthless, and we she's still so much of a mystery. And the the creator has said we're going to get a lot more of her in second season, which makes me really excited because I, I find that actress really fantastic. And I just love, I love a great female villain. If she's willing to, you know, poke herself with a pickle fork... <laughs> I'm on board. That was. I was so like, is that badass. real biology? I don't think yeah. that's. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just hope that. that works. I hope that the sum total of all of their scheming is a little bit more than making Tyrell CTO. That's all I have to say. Okay. Like that's the, fair. their level of their level of investment uh, doesn't quite scan with their goals. I think there's a lot more that we're going to find out and maybe Tyrell is connected to Elliot in some way that we don't know yet. That's a well, deeper connection. Yeah, That's what I'm waiting to find because, you know, like, like uh, Mr. Robot is in the car with Tyrell at some mm-hmm. point, right? right? So that Talking. was really Elliot, right? So right. I'm like, a, I'm almost annoyed just because I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to go back and watch the whole fucking thing again. Like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> to see these scenes of like when it was really Elliot, like... Yeah, I know. I was thinking that too. Now I have to rewatch it. Um, so, I, can I, can we just mention Beatty Wong playing White Rose? Yes, and I will say, like, I watched that scene, the three minute scene that was timed between the two of them, uh, probably six times. I thought it was so great, and it then was so I great. loved seeing that character come back at the end. Presumably, uh, what I'm assuming is that it's a transgender woman choosing to sort of masquerade as a cis man to get into this world, this boys club. And I was like, that is incredible. That is something we've never seen before that I am so on board with, with an actor that fucking everybody loves. (laughs) Who who also has like this, this is part of his career since like Madam Butterfly, this sort of gender uh, tweaking roles kind of thing. And I just, impeccable casting. I really, really hope they go somewhere with that. And it's not just like an Easter egg kind of a thing. I really want to see how that plays out. Oh, I think it's going to be really big for next season. So I really I think hope White Rose so. is, I mean, even from the earlier episodes of we've got to get White Rose on board. I mean, it seems like White Rose is very crucial to what's going to happen. Can I just side note, call out, if you're a reviewer, I read a lot of reviewer reviews the day after that White Rose episode. A lot who of reviewers wrote their reviews in a way that where they sort of twisted their prose to not actually have to refer to that character as a she. Mm-hmm. And I was like... Elliot calls that character a she in the show. Right. You can do it. You don't have to just be, like, avoiding pronouns. It was really awkward to me, and I just... I That left a bad taste in my mouth as far as the conversation about the show. Right. I, I did not approve. Right. Um, the other thing that um, I found really interesting was actually all the tech and all the security stuff, because, you know, I um, share my life with a security expert <laughs> who hates when I talk about him, but I keep, but who hates TV. So there's no way I'm going to get him to watch Mr. Robot. So I keep asking him if he can please ask his coworkers to weigh in on the accuracy of 
everything, all the hacking that's going on and all the levels of security that are going on. Because I actually understood a lot more of that show because of this person that I share my life with. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was a lot of stuff in there that I was like, oh, I, I know what this is. <laughs> I know what they're talking about, you know. Um, but I still don't have word on that. As a person who really doesn't know very much about that, I, it felt like they were selling it. Like, I bought Yeah, and I feel like, you know, Brandy and I have tried to write this stuff before. It's really hard. And so I think they just really did a great job with all of the tech language where it felt like, yeah, this is a niche world, but I still feel like it's accessible. We're like, you know, compared to watching Halt and Catch Fire, where it's like, lingo, 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 lingo. I was bored. It's like, I can't just hear computer words spoken at me. You know, this was in a very engaging way. Yeah. And that was, that was a style question. That was a question of um, letting us empathize with the motivations of the characters who were doing what was happening on screen. I think it, yeah. in part, it was just the fact that they were using the device of narration where sometimes there were other things going on at the same time as this hacking. So you didn't have to just watch somebody typing. <laughs> I think it, it the way the show is put together is very, very smart and stylish. And uh, it's one of those ones where, like, I want it to be better than it is. And that's why I'm focusing on the things that didn't work for me. But obviously, like, I watched the whole thing and I will very gladly watch season two. And I'm glad that it's a show that's out there. I re slightly resent the fact that people are pretending it's the first good show on USA because that's just like <laughs> showing your snobbishness, quite frankly, because they've had many good shows on USA. Um, well, I think people are talking about it in similar vein of Lifetime is really changing the brand, taking a risk, doing an edgy show that's really different than your bread and butter of your brand. And I'm really impressed with these two networks yeah. and taking a chance on really great material that, you know, honestly, NBC and, you know, Fox and all those would never make either of those shows. And it's too hard to get in at HBO and Showtime and all of those ones that, so to have more options for really great creators to bring their edgy shows is awesome. Yeah. That's great for us as the viewers. Agreed. Well, you know, USA is owned by NBC Universal. <laughs> all right. Well, it is. I mean, it's good to see there. that the way it's good to see them taking a risk on their smaller side for sure. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, too, USA has had good shows, but they haven't had critically acclaimed shows. Ooh. Yeah, like they'll be that, in the Emmys next I know, year. But I think that that's the difference. I'm not. I'm not saying that USA has bad shows. I'm saying that he ha it hasn't had a critical darling. Of a show. Well, I could get into a whole have. other conversation about what you have to do to be a critical darling, but <laughs> sure, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's like not full of shit, but because um, I think I In think Plain Sight was one of the, the most difference. feminist shows I've ever seen on TV, and nobody talked about it, and that was on USA. So mm -hmm. uh, I could go into a whole spiel. <laughs> well, yes. Who are the critics, and who? What do they think is darling? Yeah. And if you know a season of Kubrick references and Fincher references are really what you want. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. That's how about it. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it does fit into a narrative of what's important, and mm -hmm. uh, we should talk about why more female-driven shows don't necessarily get to be in that conversation. Right. Like, there was many times watching Mr. Robot where I was like, I would watch this entire show from Darlene's perspective. Oh, for sure. She's one of my favorite characters, and I love her look. I, I just, I love that punk Lolita look, and I, there's just so many things that are so refreshing about this show, and, you know, that 
you know, Elliot is a very good looking man, but he doesn't look like Adam from Unreal, who we were talking about is so <laughs> vanilla. You know, it's like an interesting, you know, good looking man. And she is obviously this kind of hot sexual woman, but it's in this like very cool, like dressing for herself kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it was tough and edgy. And I just, it was so refreshing to see that look to me. Can we just talk quickly about um, Freddie Stroma since you brought him up? <laughs> <laughs> so he's joining the cast of Game of Thrones as Samuel's brother. I just, I mean, that's fine. I, he's a fine enough actor. I, I don't know if I've really seen him in anything else besides. Teresa emailed us that he was in Pitch Perfect and I was like, what? <laughs> who? <laughs> who? What? Yeah, he was the radio DJ guy who gives her a shot. Yeah, but he's and, in it and, for like two scenes, right? Like, doesn't he just kind of show his abs and be an asshole? He's he's in it enough for me to register how hot he looks. I don't know. He doesn't do it for me. Like, I I really want like the the more of the dark brooding Rami Malek kind of guy. <laughs> like, he's distractingly hot to me in Mister Robots. Yeah, it's like him and then the guy from Younger. I feel like those. Like, are the there hottest. was a scene. There was a scene when I think when he was was when he like broke in somewhere or whatever, where there was a long tracking shot of him just walking away from the camera, and I was like, I don't even know what's happening right now. I'm too focused on this. (laughs) (laughs) So hot. Anyway, well, this is why I want his brother in the show also because I want two Elliots on screen. Right. Get them together. That's you guys are getting kinky. Get him in there. Well, speaking of hot men, what's going yeah. on with the rom-com? Oh, God. Okay, so we all watched Trainwreck, and we do realize we're a little behind the times on the conversation of this, but speaking of hot men, Bill Hader can get it in this movie, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How did that happen? He's like a, he's like the new Hugh Grant. He's got the floppy yes. hair. That is what mm-hmm. it is. That subway scene, it's like... Oh, I can't yeah. tell so, so cute. <laughs> so sexy. <laughs> Um, but I think we had some divisive opinions about this movie, and I think it fits into a bigger conversation of, like, how are fans of the rom-com, which I think we all are, being served in today's movie scene? Or not. Or being not served. being served, you know, because I-, I will say, I know there's a lot of criticisms of this movie, and there's a lot of praise of this movie. I feel like I'm in the middle, where, like, whatever someone's saying, I'm kind of like, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> I had fun watching it. I saw it with some friends. We snuck some booze into the theater. I think that was basically the best way to see it. I did that as well. And I I certainly didn't think it was flawless. I thought it was messy in that Judd Apatow messy way. Um, And I think there were some problematic elements. Uh, But overall, I enjoyed it. And I just enjoyed the fact that I could be watching Amy Schumer and Bill Hader on the big screen in a love story. Definitely. Uh, you know, I'm in the hater category. Um, because for me, in a rom-com, it's not enough that they just get someone to love. And, you know, I kept thinking about Never Been Kissed, which is kind of the mirror image of this, of, you know, a virgin who doesn't have a lot of experience. But she doesn't just get a man she loves. She gets her career and friends, and she finds out who she is, but it comes from her. It's not, you know you do all these bad behaviors, get rid of them, and then, you know, be like the classic lady, and then you get a man, and that's all you get. I didn't I didn't read the story quite that way. I don't know. I just have to say Never Been Kissed is one of my favorite rom-coms of all time. Um, just putting that out there. Yeah. Um, 
I went into Trainwreck so excited because I'm a massive Amy Schumer fan. Me too. Massive. So and excited. I, and this third season of her show has been so tight and so strong and so ballsy. And I, I've just really, for the most part, really liked her stuff. And this is one of those situations where I want to see the script she wrote so I can compare it to the film that was made. Because there's a lot of stuff in this film sloppy stuff scenes that are completely unnecessary and even painful like that intervention scene oh my god um weird moralistic stuff i do agree to a certain extent shannon with you with her like realizing how good family is and cleaning things up and finding a nice man um at the end when she became a cheerleader I was like, what the fuck is this movie? (laughs) Like, what happened to the movie? Like, what? Mm. I don't even understand that. And on top of that, it was just sloppily edited. There's way too much time given to people, like, riffing and doing I don't know what. And sometimes I feel like Amy Schumer's just doing a stand-up act. Um, Yeah, her character was kind of all over the place. And sometimes it felt like, are you being the sketch character that you're always criticizing? Like, that type of girl? But then she's the lead character in your movie. And I felt like I never really knew where I was supposed to be in relation to her character. Yeah, there were, there were so many strands in this film that didn't feel like they really fit together. This, everything that was going on in the office with... Um, Tilda Swing guys, was... Come on, she was great, though. She was, she was great in her own little movie that took place in her office. But that movie is different than the family movie. Yes. And also, I can't watch another girl who's a writer who's not a good writer. I and just who sleeps with her subject. Stop oh, the God. madness. It's disrespectful to us who are writers. It's just, like, she, and then Tilda Swinton keeps being like, I'm looking at you for the promotion. Why? Why? She seems terrible at her job. Probably not I, as terrible as the other people in the room, at least. <laughs> but it never been kissed. You know she's working hard. Like, she earned her promotion, you know what I mean? Because yeah. we see her working hard and not being appreciated. And that's why I just kept thinking of Never Been Kissed. It was like, everything I love about that movie and is just so endearing was absent in this film. And it shouldn't have been. It should have had all of those same elements. Well, the other big thing that's missing from this movie, in my opinion, is why these two characters are into each other. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you can't make me a rom-com where I understand why these two people are falling for each other, even if they're different, you know, but I see this writer walking into this respected sports doctor, not knowing anything about sports and not really caring and being kind of sloppy and not professional. And I don't know. I like, what is this? amazing spark that he saw in her exactly well he hadn't had sex for like six years or something right (laughs) (laughs) right i mean that's the other thing like she she sleeps with him like like right away and she's writing a a story about him there's these like red flags you know yeah well and then i had a really interesting discussion with my friend that like i don't mind seeing a super sexual woman i love that but She's not enjoying sex. We never see her orgasm. She's never even enjoying it. And so it became really sad. Where I know a lot of amazing sexually empowered women that are having great sex with whoever. Safe sex. Also, when she has sex with Bill Hader, we're all like, is she wearing a condom? What's happening? Like, I'm really concerned. You know, but it's like, if you're going to have a sexual character, make her empowered. Have her orgasm. Make her enjoy it. Don't 
don't just you're you're shaming her by having her act like that in sex. I am. Um, I agree with 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 all of that, and I also think like the reverse is like I couldn't figure out what her character saw in Bill Hader's character. You know, like he was a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, but what else? Well, and then that whole narrative of like the only way she's going to change is if she finds this mythical nice guy that sees beyond it and helps her find herself. And I know when I was single, I found that narrative so shitty and disempowering because what I can't become the person I want to be because I haven't found that perfect mythical guy. How does that help you when you're single and dating? (laughs) I mean, as a single person, I didn't necessarily read it like that. I read it more like, she is closed off to everyone. She's not just closed off to him. She's closed off to her sister. She's closed off to mm-hmm. her entire family. She has built herself this world where her only friends are, uh, you know, the slightly kind of like sycophantic Vanessa Bear, And then uh, that's it. She has no one. The John Cena character, who, by the way, he's hilarious. And he and The Rock should, like, do a movie together. Um, I support that. But... I saw it as being bigger than just about that. And uh, one of, actually one of the biggest issues I had with the movie was the portrayal of her father because I'm just really, really over this thing where people write an offensive character into their movie or show so that then they could make offensive, offensive jokes. But it's like, everyone knows they're offensive, so it's no big deal. And I just want to be like, this is a loophole so you can make all the jokes that you know you're not really allowed to mm. make. Um, as a person who has offensively racist family members, it's not fun in games and people don't love them and don't like sob uh, over how misunderstood they are. That's a good point. So that was my biggest beef with the movie. I thought her character arc actually, because of the stuff with the sister, worked well the way that she needed to change the way she interacted with the world. I didn't think it was all about Bill Hader. I thought it was very clear that she was putting up walls with everyone in her life and not just in a romantic sense i i will buy that as the storyline but the film as presented didn't read to me that way i agree with you Therese. If, the, if the very last scene is her donning a cheerleader outfit and doing a routine with these women who somehow are being held up as the pinnacle of the wholesome girl next door who just make everyone happy that just confuses me yeah the final scene should have been probably with her sister. If that's really the message, it's like she can have her final reconciliation with Bill Hader, but then it's like, you know what? There's someone else I need to, you know, classic rom-com. There's someone else I need to make things right with. And then you have the final scene with her sister and it's like, okay, then it's not all just about find the right man that'll fix you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The cheerleader yeah. stuff didn't bother me. I don't really have a problem with cheerleaders. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a problem with cheerleaders either, but... But I mean, obviously there's some, by her adopting that persona at the end of the film, which is her grand gesture to win him back. Yeah. Just feels sort of It's a loaded image. It's a loaded image. She could have chosen so many other things, but the cheerleader thing is just too loaded in our culture. I thought it was funny, like her being a bad cheerleader, like not very good at it. I don't know. I was blinded by the funniness of the image, yeah. maybe. Look, I, I, there were things in the movie that were really funny. And, and the truth is that there are a lot of things about her life that reminded me of my time as a single woman. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember Definitely. all that stuff. And I remember all the sort of like 
why can't I, you know, just have these stupid meaningless, not always like (laughs) climax inducing, you know, just because it was sort of exciting or fun or, you know, whatever. And then eventually you're like, yeah, I'm kind of tired of this. I don't want to lose a good night's sleep over some mediocre guy. Again, looking at it as a single woman, like there's this thing where like in movies, you're sort of like, well, when the woman meets a good guy, she should just automatically trust him. Like, what's her problem? Because you don't fucking know. Like, look at it from her perspective. How is she really supposed to know that this guy is going to be the guy, you know? Like, we know because we're watching a movie. But to me, it was very relevant. Like, it felt very real that her character was thinking, you must be too good to be true. And I did, I bought that 100%. Any guy who's nice to you is probably too good to be true when you're single, quite frankly. No, I I, I agree with that, absolutely, which was again sort of it it felt it all felt kind of too cute to me because I kept thinking like what is she signed on for here exactly like I would be way much warier than her well and I think a show that's doing this really well is Catastrophe where it's like okay he's moving to London to help raise you know raise this baby and she she is suspicious a lot and she's not ready to trust because you can tell she's been hurt before and you know, she's like, this is fucking weird. I really like you, but it is weird. And I felt like that was ground, that show was grounded in so yeah. much real emotion and Trainwreck was not. So this it is, didn't go there. This is a good point to, a good time to say, like, what, what are we seeing out in the universe of media right now that is kind of hitting that rom-com zone, maybe the way that we want things to be hitting? You mentioned Catastrophe. I think we've talked about You're the Worst on this show before. Those are my two faves right now. I think movie-wise, it's it's a little bit of a dead zone right now. Absolutely dead zone. I would like Paul Feig to direct another film because between Bridesmaids and Spy, uh, I think those... I mean, is Bridesmaids a rom-com? Because if it is, I'm putting it on my list. I think it's half rom-com. It's like half friend-com and half rom-com. I mean, she does get together with a guy at the end. And I love it. I'm totally for it. Like, I, I, I would put Bridesmaids on my list of top rom-coms. I think it's a, it's a hard genre because in recent years, there are, like, more, like, action rom-com. <laughs> like, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily as square of a box as in the When Harry Met Sally Sleepless in Seattle mm-hmm. days. But I also think that, like, that's how people are sneaking this in because there's some, people seem to think there's something kind of throwback and not cool about a rom-com and you have to have some other element i don't think that but i feel i was thinking back on the last like 10 years and i don't think there's a straight rom-com that's been out in theaters maybe forgetting sarah marshall would be the exception to that but for the most is great i fucking love that movie fucking love it well jason siegel is a great writer a great writer because um the five-year engagement is also fabulous yeah that's a good one not also a comedy with a romantic through line, but not the traditional rom-com, quote-unquote, will they or won't they, we really know they will kind of structure. Well, it's about a Because they're already together when the movie starts. Yeah, they're already together at the movie. And I like that. I think there's been a lot of movies that have sort of, like, broken down the structure and done it in a different way. Celeste and Jesse Forever is another one I really liked that kind of hit the beats of a rom-com, but, you know, they start out together and then, spoiler, they kind of end up not together. But it's the same emotional beats it's the reason why i love that genre are still present in that narrative i liked 500 days of summer 
Oh, I, I like that. that film. I hate that movie. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love but it here's too. here's the thing. Like, is that a rom-com? Is The 40-Year-Old Virgin a rom-com? Because I love The 40-Year-Old Virgin. I think Virgin. it is. I think it is. That's a movie with... You see, the thing with, with the, the rom-coms I love the best is that they're not just that. That there are other relationships going on in the film. Yeah. And there are things happening at different levels. And... Uh, both sides of the romance equation are real people, like fleshed out characters. Mm -hmm. I think these things are always interesting. I know 500 Days of Summer is, there's some problems, but <laughs> I found it an interesting, I really we can get like into it. the whole. Oh like, God. So. Come on. She's like, a villain for like telling him that she doesn't want anything serious and then meaning it. That's terrible. No, I don't. I don't think she's a villain. I think she's a. I think the movie frames her as being a villain. Well, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I can see that, but I never interpreted it that way. I just, I thought he was like a little too needy, and she needed to move on. If the so movie thought, I'm... if the movie really thought he was too needy, they wouldn't have had her meet, had him meet Autumn at the end. Like, right? He's rewarded right. Well, for all of his dumb. behavior. No, all right. I can't with that movie. <laughs> Scratch that. Well, okay, let's talk about Notting Hill, a romantic comedy I despise. I love Notting Hill. What are you doing? I know. I was shocked to hear this. Oh my I was like, I don't it's like almost a perfect rom com. It's so. perfect. No. Let me just tell you. No, Julia Roberts is an absolutely horrible no, human not. being. She, no, she's not. She I vehemently she can... disagree. <laughs> I think she's in a really tough spot and I think that she lashes out and then she tries to apologize for it later and is rejected in a way that a man would absolutely be forgiven. I think it's I yeah. I, I, I love her character. I love that movie. I will hear I will hear no <laughs> disparagement of that movie. There it has one of the best scenes ever in a rom com of when he takes her to dinner at his friend's house. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean that dinner scene is one of the best scenes in any rom-com ever. And why I love rom-coms of the 80s and 90s is it's always about the friends as much as it is about the love story. It's about finding yourself in your life and making the decision of who you're going to be. And mm -hmm. I feel like in the last, you know, 10 years, it hasn't been about that. It's been changing yourself so you can get the person that then will help you become this person that fits in society, but it's not really who you are. I mean, it's all about, Notting Hill is all about him being such a weirdo, never been kissed. She's such a weirdo. It's celebrating the weirdo. And then it's like making everybody mainstream. I don't know why that's boring. Can I also add in another of my favorite and I think very, very underrated rom-coms, which is While You Were Sleeping. Um, yes. Because Love. she's so lonely, and one of the reasons why she ends up falling for him is not just because Bill Pullman is a weirdo dreamboat in that movie, but because oh she is seeking him. a place in life, and she falls in love almost with his family before she falls in love with him, and it, which sounds like creepy when you kind of say it, but it, but it means so much. Like it's not just about her finding a boyfriend; it's about her floundering in life because her dad died. And then finding a place where she really fits in and where everybody understands her. Not just him. All of them understand her. I'm like totally tearing up right <laughs> now because I think the message of, I think the message of that movie is really deep and really beautiful. And it's funny. And, and it's, it's great. so funny. That script is impeccable. The jokes are on point. 
Like, ugh, I, I love that movie so much. It gets it gets written off because the premise is kind of silly and because it's set at Christmas. But honestly, I think it's one of the finest examples of what the genre can do. I absolutely love it. Because I respect both of your fine minds, <laughs> I will re-watch while you're sleeping. <laughs> I will not comment on my current feelings about the movie because I will watch it again. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. It is. I will watch it, it again. It is silly. But, like, I, I really, like, this is a movie that I watch repeatedly. Me too. Absolutely no, love. I don't, I don't think it's silly. I think Bill Pullman is, is not a, a, a good romantic lead. And I, oh. I know, you can, you can, I know, I understand. I'm going to watch the movie again, you guys. I disagree. I promise. So disagree. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, I wonder if this is when, you know, generations come into play because this is, he's, you know, Independence Day while you were sleeping how old were we, Brandy? Maybe like 12 or something? Yeah. So that's like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these things are coming out at that time. Hormones are starting to play. Like, right. Like, like it might be like he was a little bit of a formative, sort of like authoritative romantic figure in a weird way. <laughs> there at the right time. Right time, Totally right there at the right time. You guys, if we're gonna if we're gonna play the age card, <laughs> the greatest rom com of all time is the way we were with Barbara Streisand oh. and Robert. Is Edward. that a comedy though? That's just so romance. No, but I don't care. There's it an entire is. other category because I okay. So I made a list as we were thinking about talking about this topic of some of my favorite rom coms and some old ones because I love classic movies are on there. Definitely like the Philadelphia Story happened one night. Mm-hmm. Palm Beach Story, Roman Holiday, like all of those are like amazing. Roman Holiday. Right, Roman Holiday, like your heart breaks. But then I was thinking more like the 80s were the heyday of another kind of comedy. Like I was thinking not just the basics like uh, When Harry Met Sally, but also like Moonstruck, Big, Only the Lonely, Chances Are, like kinds of stories that took big chances. And... I was disappointed after I looked at my list and realized that I had like 25 movies written down and all of them are about straight people, of course. Only two of them don't have a primarily white cast. And those are uh, Boomerang, starring Eddie Murphy and Robin Gibbons and uh, Holly Berry. And uh, The Wedding Banquet, which is one of Ang Lee's early movies. That's an outstandingly good film. An amazing, amazing movie, which uh, is about... Well, I guess that one's not about straight people. That one has a diverse cast and it's about gay people. And I would highly encourage people to seek it out. Because it is... Run, Don't Walk. Oh, such a good movie. But um, the kind of movie that makes me realize that we really haven't grown in this genre very much. I do know that Mm -hmm. there are lots of indie LGBT romances out there that they're like, I know that they're out there, but they're not being elevated to the level where people are going to just know that they exist without having to seek them out really uh, carefully. I mean, maybe Tyler Perry is the only person who's doing that. And even, People in his demographic criticize him all the time. So <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know why. I, I feel like uh, something like Beyond the Lights is obviously not a comedy. It's just a romance. But it shows me but that it was there's so great. Oh, it's fantastic! It shows me that the market is there, and it makes me question why things are not progressing a little. Well, that's why I just keep hoping that Lifetime will kind of digress from the you know how you know your daughter went missing movies or whatever and make fresh rom-coms that are relevant for 
you know, all of us that still, the yeah. demographic is still here. Oh, yeah. We're still waiting for the good rom You know, like, I watch Hallmark and Lifetime movies all the time because, and I know they're cheesy as fuck and they're, but, like, I just want something I can throw on in the background and feel good about, and I'm not necessarily getting that from other, from right. the actual, like, mainstream movies at this point. But I'm I'm always disappointed by how non-diverse they are. Like, the best you can get is, like, whatever. I watched one the other day that had Jessica Jor in it. She's, like, a yeah. quarter black or something like that. It's, like, yeah. it's ridiculous. That's what you have to be to star in these movies because they think they're only playing in the Midwest and they have a certain image of the Midwest. Like, I could go on a... I could go off on a fucking rant. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, if you're a Hallmark exec listening to this, just know that your market is solid and you do not have to cast only white people. <laughs> please. Please. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to get back to something else that we were touching on, which is the difference between a romance movie and a romantic comedy. Because I'm, I'm looking at this sort of interesting list on Vulture of the like, 25 best romantic comedies since When Harry Met Sally. And there are some films that I love on that list. And I would say that like films like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Her, no. actually. Listen, listen. <laughs> they both deal with the nature of love. They deal with the nature of romance. Neither are comedies. No. I love not, both right? of those movies. Eternal Sunshine is honestly like a top 10 movie for me. It is yeah. not a rom-com. It is not a rom-com. So, it's a heartbreaker from like scene one. Like they, it, that's not, people are misunderstanding what we're looking for in the genre if they think that that's going to fill it because it's, in, it's an incredible film. It is not a right. comedy at all. It is not a comedy. Groundhog Day. Yes. Is one of my top 10 films of yes. all time. Um, not a, not really a comedy. I think it's a rom com. I think that one fits. Do you? Yeah, but I see what you mean. Where like it's doing something deeper with the character beyond the romance, and some of it is really quite kind of tragic. I don't mind some tragedy. I mean, we were just talking about while you're sleeping. I mean, there's a lot of tragedy in that movie. But I think that so many of the modern stories have been about a breakup and getting through a breakup. Or I mean, it's so hard to see even a healthy marriage on TV anymore. It's like someone's cheating or blah, blah, you know, cause it's like you just throw all this drama in it. So it's, it's really hard to find any models of, you know, good relationships on TV where you're like, God, I hope my dating relationships like that. I mean, I can't even think of one right now. So I'm looking through this list and um, Clueless is on the list. So I, I want to put Clueless that forward. Wrong. Yeah. I... A, it's more of a friend calm. It's more of a friend calm. But there is a romantic story. We need a genre for this story. Like, there's a lot of movies I love that fall into that half rom-com, half rom-com genre. Definitely. I mean, I was thinking the other day, it must suck to be a teenager right now. When we were teenagers, we had so many movies for us during the Scream series. And, you know. Ten Things um, I Hate About You was one of my favorite rom-coms still. Absolutely. Can't hardly wait. You know, there were so many teen movies that were... You know, some of them are, okay, most of them are kind of cheesy, but they were for us and they represented our culture. There's so many things you can look to to see 90s culture and I don't think there's much. Yeah, I don't see. know. I mean, I mean, I think there might be things we don't realize exist. For example, Disney Channel movies are a big right. deal right now. Um, but I think the as far as movies that play in the theater, we've had, headed more towards the Nicholas Sparks kind of 
realm where everything's kind of a tragedy. Yeah, I mean, do you have to have cancer to fall in love these days? I mean, can't you just be alive? I just I just thought of another of my top ten greatest rom-coms of all time, Kissing Jessica Stein. That's a good one that has some queer themes for sure. I really like that. You know, I just keep thinking about looking, and I feel like they were really building the love stories, and yeah. they were going in that direction, and then, you know... It's canceled. It's too bad. Now, so. Season two was so much better than season one, and then it so gets canceled. So much better. Like, come on. And they had some great romantic moments between the men, and I loved seeing it. I just, I loved that show a lot, the second season, and it was such a bummer that I feel like it was just getting to the place it needed to be, and it got canceled, and there's nowhere else, where else could I watch a gay love story? Uh, listeners, if you have good recommendations, please send them in. Yeah, well, there's a couple, you know, lesbian films coming out, Free Held and um, Carol. Oh, Carol looks so good. Carol's going to kill me. So we'll see how those play. And maybe people will realize there is more of an audience because even as a straight female, I love watching gay love stories. I mean, uh, they're hot and, uh, you know, and they're, love is love. So whatever. Yeah. Uh, so write into us, let us know what your favorite rom-coms are. We really like the recommendations. I think this is a big, a big conversation and we can continue it on a later episode. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Please follow us on uh, Facebook by searching Downton Gabby on Tumblr, downtongabby.tumblr.com. We're posting things there, uh, on Twitter at Downton Gabby. And we'll be continue talking about all of these other things until Down Abbey starts airing in the U.S. Again, I just want to say that it starts airing in the U.K. on September 20th, but I don't know at all how we could possibly watch it here in the U.S. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's too bad. It's, it's a just, shame. Oh, it's just such a shame, but September 20th. Uh, and thank you for listening. We will catch you next time. Tu sei lontana, sogno all'orizzonte, manca le parole. Io sì lo so che sei con me, con me. Tu mia luna, tu sei qui con me. Mio sole, tu sei qui con me. Can